We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney. Hello, I'm Tim Gilbert, a Western Suburbs boy from Guildford and a proud fan. Welcome to our podcast. This is the place to come to hear all the stories from our wonderful football club. Players, coaches, managers, fans. Our featured Wanderers will come in all shapes and sizes and diverse backgrounds. We are a strong club that is on the move and our people have rich and gripping stories to tell. Welcome. Great to have you along for the ride. Today's Wanderer, Ian Dicko Dixon. Ian Dicko Dixon. How are you, Dicko? I'm good, Tim. I'm, I'm actually stuck up here in, in uh, the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast and um, just chomping at the bit to get back and see the Wanderers play. So. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure the world is wobbling on its axis. Uh, not many people can get very far at all. But let, why don't we start with that before we start talking about your love for the Wanderers and talk about the, the tree change because uh, uh, a few years ago you decided to go up there. It is a gorgeous part of the world. Yeah, I'm in Mullaney. It's a small country town, a bit of a hippie town in the hills in the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast. And um, we were in Sydney, me and my wife, and she said, look, we need to, we're in this big house, we need to move, the kids have left home, why don't we find somewhere where the kids will never move back in with us? And I thought, what a good <laughs> idea. So, so we moved up to this, we came up to the Sunshine Coast on holiday, went to Noosa, and just wandered up to Mullaney for a couple of days. And we were up here for three days and we bought a house and uh, Mel said, could you live up here? And I went, well, as long as you let me fly home for Wanderers Home Games, that's fine. So that's been the deal for the past four and a half years. And, um, yeah, yeah it's kind of last time I was back in Sydney, I think uh, was um, I think it might have been for the Derby at Banquest. So um, back in the, I think it must have been March. Yeah, and obviously a bit of COVID-19 action has, uh, has paused a bit of that. Hopefully by the time we get to the next season, things would have levelled out again. But uh, let's get back to that initial love of the Wanderers before I talk to you more generally about your, your, your love of football. Um, tell us about those early days and how you became so attached to the club. Well, it was um, by accident, actually. I, I, was, I had a house in Melbourne. We lived in Sydney, but I was working on the radio in Melbourne. And just I drifted into watching Melbourne Victory. So I started watching Melbourne Victory while I was down in Melbourne. This is the days before the Wanderers even existed. And I, I really enjoyed Melbourne Victory games because the crowd was so fantastic. You know, the blue and white brigade, you know, they were really boisterous. And it reminded me of British football. It felt really passionate. So I had, I, I was a, a Victory fan, unashamed, and I've still got a soft spot for Victory. I think they're the benchmark of uh, clubs in, in the A-League. And then um, my, I, got, I got booted from my job in, on radio. I was back in Sydney. And Lyle Gorman, who I'd met a few times, he used to be uh, the chairman of the, of the uh, Central Coast Mariners and was a great bloke. I really respected him. And he said, look, can we have a coffee? I want to talk to you about something. And he talked about his idea for this new club. Frank Lowy had asked him to, to, to launch a club in Western Sydney back in 2012. And he said, look, this is the most important job in Australian football. Obviously, I realised that most, you know, most of the players for the current Socceroos squad either came from or played their football in Western Sydney. So it was very much the spiritual home of football in Australia. So I said to Lyle, look, I'm a victory fan. And he said, yeah, but you don't live there. 
you've got to be flexible. Football's in its infancy in this country. Why don't you come along to a few meetings? So I went along to a meeting and all we had was a coach in Popper and six mm. players signed when I got on board and started talking. And the more we started talking, the more I thought, this sounds really exciting. And they they unveiled the colours and the band's name and uh, the band, <laughs> the, the football club's name. And, um, and bit oh, by nice. bit, I kind of, yeah, bit by bit, I just kind of fell in, in love with the venture. But the, I guess the moment that really, really got me was that first A-League game at Parramatta when we, we drew nil-nil with Central Coast Mariners. And watching the RBB, you know, just launch into action, I just thought, we've got a real club here. This really feels special. And that first year is probably the most remarkable year of football, following football in my life. Just brilliant. It just after a few, you know, the first goal that we scored, the first win, and then when we went on that that record-breaking winning streak of 12 games and ended up winning the title at Newcastle, just unbelievable. You know, I just because I'm a Birmingham City fan, so these sort of mm. things didn't happen to me. My team was no. rubbish, you know. We've never won anything. So to 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 get on board with a team from scratch that went on to win the title in that first year. But just unbelievable. Dicko, there is a bit of synergy there, though, isn't there? Like, I mean, you talk about Birmingham City and you talk about Western Sydney, and like, I'm a half-led, grub in Guildford, one of six kids. There's something essentially, uh, you know, there's a similarity in the sense of what Birmingham City fans are like, Western Sydney Wanderers fans. We're talking working class, blue collar, all those great, attributes of, um, you know, clubs that are built on people. A hundred percent. And the, that's a really astute point, Tim. My, my family were from uh, slums in Birmingham. In fact, my family were from Small Heath, where Peaky Blinders is set. Wow. So, and, and my father, my grandfather worked at BSA Factory, which is always shown in Peaky Blinders episodes. And, um, and it's funny because my grandfather played for Aston Villa. My grandfather, I'm named after him. My grandfather is called Ian Dixon. And he played in the first ever team in the 1920s. But it's your dad who takes you to football. And my whole dad's side of the family were blue noses and supported Birmingham City. So I think my dad was meant to be babysitting me one, one afternoon and took me to St mm. Andrews to see Birmingham instead. And I sat, stood on his shoulders and watched probably watched us lose against a really crap side in front of like 50,000 fans. <laughs> but I was totally smitten at that point. So every Christmas and birthday, I would get Blues m merchandise and every Christmas would get the new Birmingham City kit and would wear it around the house and go to sleep in it. And yeah, I look, I still, I cried like a baby when we won the, the uh, League Cup against Arsenal a few years ago because I just didn't think things like that happened to my team. And then I found the Wanderers. So. Yeah, oh, exactly, and it's it's yeah, as you say, you and you articulated it beautifully. The synergy between them and 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 family clubs. You you speak about your family and and where you grew up, and that essentially, for those that don't know the Wanderers or don't know the real story or the and it's not a long history, is it? But it's very much a family club. And I remember doing some of those Today Show stories early on with Wanderers families uh, sprinkled across Western Sydney, and live, breathe, love this football club. And it all happened for a lot of people and families very quickly. I've never seen a sporting team take like this 
No, it's it's unbelievable. Where we used to sit in the old stadium in at, at Pertex Stadium, there was a there was a it was amazing. There was so many young families there who brought babies in the first year. And you saw them every year got older and older, eventually would gravitate into bigger shirts and and, and then more kids would be, get born. That it, it's just incredible. But it's funny, There's you, you mentioned family. Our fans have been vilified from day one by a, a lot of mainstream media. And, and you don't realise how much heart there is in the RBB. I remember we had, we had a fan called NATO who used to make all the big flags and, and he was diagnosed with a really bad form of cancer. And the, and the, the RBB just put the call out to do a big fundraiser in Western Sydney one afternoon and just raised a load of money for his family. And a few of the players turned up and, and offered up their stuff to be to be auctioned off. And that just shows what the club's like. You know, it's just, it, you know, this was just a, an ordinary fan who, who, you know, he was a key member of the RBB. But as I say, these are fans who've been vilified by broadcasters across Sydney as scumbags, you know, called scum by the coppers. And they're just misunderstood. For me, the A-League will die if we over-sanitise our, our grounds. And we had some naughty boys, of course, and they got dealt with. Part of the issue we have right now, I think, is that we've got to get our game back with passionate people. And there was a lot of passionate people who were just vilified in those early years. It's probably not politically correct to say that. But you meet these guys at away games, they're just nice, passionate people for the club. And they're rough diamonds, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think the football in Australia will lose these people at its peril. We need to find a way to get them back, frankly. Yeah, look, and I don't think there's any problem with rough diamonds. And, and rough diamonds can play inside the framework of, of what's right and wrong. And 99.9% and have always done that. And I, I think that uh, you're right. The, the storytelling, particularly of the past, hasn't focused enough on those essential moments, those stories, like you mentioned, of that generosity, that benevolence from fans. And that is the fabric of the fan. That is the fabric of the Wanderers Club. You know, I, I go to home games in Parramatta. Went, went to home games in Parramatta just before Christmas when the bushfires were on. And some of these lads in their RBB T-shirts who you would call hooligans or, you know, certain shock jocks would call them scumbags or grubs, are wandering around with collection buckets collecting money for the bushfire victims, you know. And you see that a lot at home games, you know. These, they, a lot of the times, these are people with heart. And, and as I say, you know, we, we can't survive as a game, let alone a club, without these people, you know. And it, and it is, we are one big family, the Wanderers. It's amazing the time you go to, a, you go to an airport and across a concourse, you see someone with a red and black shirt on and you give them the nod like, yep, you're in the family. G'day, mate, you know. And you can start a conversation with anyone if they're wearing the colours, you know. Yeah, they're great colours too, the red and black. There's something about it. I've always loved it even. Like, uh, this is going back a long way in Australian sporting history, but the 70s and the North Sydney Bears, the red and black, they don't exist mm -hmm. now in first grade rugby league, but they are two great colours when it comes to this uh, world of sport that we love so much. What about that uh, trip you went away on uh, for the Champions that must have been extraordinary, just to be a part of it. Oh, look, it was incredible. There were only 11 of us who were allowed to go. It was made, it was very difficult. The club were amazing. They, they like Sean Mellencamp, who's now running the, the Central Coast Mariners, he was at the Wanderers at the time. He had to go to Canberra 
to the uh, Saudi Arabian embassy three times just to get the visa. And we had to get special dispensation from the king of, the, of Saudi Arabia to allow a girl into the venue because we had a young girl called Kate who was 21, never been out of Australia before, who wanted to go to the game. Look, it was a real challenge. You know, they'd oversold the game by about 40,000 people. And we had a call from the security of the team saying, look, you've got to get out here now. This was five hours before the match. There's, it's already full and there's 40,000 people trying to get in. It's going to be a bonfire. So we went there and, look, it was a little bit hairy getting to the ground, I must admit. felt very intimidating for Kate in some ways. There was, she was getting some pretty ugly comments, I have to say. But uh, we, we got into the ground and sat down and eventually the whistle was bone. And I knew we were 1-0 up, remember, with the Tommy Urich goal after the first leg. Mm. And I thought, this is going to be a long game. When I knew after two minutes I was watching the clock. And I thought, oh, no. And I cannot, still cannot believe how we won that. There were three absolute dead set penalties that should have gone against us. And if VAR had been around, there would have been no way we would have won. But the football gods were with us. And it just felt remarkable that in the first year we won the title, second year we quali- obviously qualified for Asia, got all the way through, beat Guangzhou Evergrande, who uh, they had Lippi as their coach and, and Diamante playing for them and, and just, you know, bags and bags of money. But this little team from Western Sydney just punched its way to the final. And then in the most hostile, noisy of environments, managed to hold out and, and lift the trophy. And it was unbelievable. And I always remember Sean Mellencamp said to the consul, said, look, can we come back with the fans and the players to the embassy for a celebration? And he went, no, it's a bit late. And Sean bullshitted him, said, look, I've got Tony Abbott on speed dial. Do I need to call the prime minister? And he, and he went, no, that's okay. I'll sort it out. So the team and all of the backroom staff and pop and us 11 fans went back to the Australian embassy in Riyadh and had a party in their secret club till like three in the morning with the trophy. Brilliant. And yet a moment I'll never forget. I always remember the next morning, Tommy Urich came down from bed carrying the trophy and he said, I think it's pregnant. So <laughs> That's gold. And look, at what is the old saying? It's only a rod if you're not involved. And don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. That, that's extraordinary, the way that that all transpired. How do you cope when you're not at the ground? You, how do you cope uh, on the couch? Does, do you have to clear the house? I, I mean, do you have to let your wife know, hey, this this next couple of hours is going to be a rocky ride? Yeah. It's, it's funny you mention that, Tim, because we've just – I'm in my office at the moment and my wife's just demanded – that I put an extra Netflix in my office because I, well, I, I, the air turns blue when I'm watching The Wanderers and I can't sit down. I have to pace up and down. And if we're losing, I'll, I'll watch it from the back of the room. And if we're winning, I'll be right on the telly. But it will never be quiet and it will always be a little bit blue. So she's asked me to put another Netflix in my office so she can watch something a bit girly while I'm watching the Wanderers. So I'm not, I'm really not good at not being at the ground though. It's, yeah, you know, and please God, that'll change soon enough. Oh, what, what about the facilities? Let's let's talk first about uh, what has um, been built at Blacktown because uh, having looked around the world, this, this is really top-notch, isn't it? The, the amount of sports fields and the opportunity for 
football players and fans of Western Sydney. I know it's it's incredible. We've come a long way. That's the best thing is about the Wanderers is is our potential. Where are we going to be? Things will change with this sport and with the you know the league and everything. But the Wanderers will be a centre of excellence for years and years to come. And I'd love to think that you know in a few years' time we'll be watching Real Madrid, Manchester United. And we'll be watching some young kids who came out of the academy under Crookie. And it's funny because I went over there when they first started developing that centre. And and the players were training and then getting into ice baths, which were basically wheelie bins. You know, it was, you know, it was just laughable. A club that had so much, so many aspirations. It was just a real sort of ramshackle operation then. But everyone was thinking about the potential. So now to have these state-of-the-art facility an academy that's second to none and just, you know, the sort of people that we're attracting to the club is just amazing. And then, of course, and the, the icing on the cake, of course, is Bankwest, where, you know, it just feels fantastic in there now. The derby earlier on in the year just sounded incredible in there, you know. I mean, I love the old Pertec Stadium, but because the ends were open, we lost so much of the atmosphere and the RBB mm-hmm. sound awesome under that roof. Where does your Wanderers world compare to some of the things that you've done? Because a lot of people in Australia would just make the association and say, oh, Dicko, of course, he was on Australian Idol, the judge and everything that happened post that. But in your life in music, uh, you you straddled some enormously huge acts, uh, Broadway acts, high-profile people and done some amazing things. Look, I love music. Music and sport are my two big passions. And... um... You know, and I like a lot of sports, but nothing ever comes close to football. I've still got aspirations. I manage artists and I've still, I still get a thrill about the idea of a young band that I manage getting on the radio and then developing and, and growing into a band that can play all over the world if gigs and festivals ever come back. It's probably a close match with something like, you know, the Wanderers winning or, or that first season at the Wanderers was just like breaking a band. The first season of The Wanderers where it starts as an idea and then you start to get real flesh on the bone and then the the impossible starts to happen and you just can't believe you're part of this. It was like developing an act that, that goes on to be massive around the world, you know, because with every young act that you grow, you, you dare to dream that one day they're going to be playing at a massive event, a festival like Glastonbury or something. And you, you mm. dare to dream that they're going to headline. But really, you know you're up against it. And it's the same with a new football club. You think, I wonder what this club can become. But to have all of that in the first two years was just ridiculous. I mean, everyone talks about Leicester City winning the EPL. And that's amazing. Of course, that's amazing. But it's no more amazing than the Wanderers, what we achieved in the first three years of our existence. And, and I, I just wish we got recognition for that, you know. Yeah, that story can, uh, well, something that we could uh, honestly uh, tell us as loud and as proud as we possibly can um, from here on in. I, I was going to ask you about some of those acts, some of those acts in the old days, Pearl Jam and others that you had the associations with. Yeah, look, I, I was really fortunate. I, I worked at major labels at Sony and then Universal and BMG and worked with some amazing acts. Pearl Jam probably helped me get on in the industry. I was just in the right place at the right time. Uh, the label I worked on, Epic, we were the poor relations to the Columbia label on CBS or Sony. And we hadn't really had that many groovy young acts. Then Pearl Jam turned up 
and took on the world. And then we ended up ended up at BMG working and signing uh, Foo Fighters. There's maybe Dave Grohl when I had the oh, long mullet. Yeah, I don't just have these lying around everywhere, but I just saw it. And, and yeah, I'm proud to work with people like him because he's a good guy, you know. No matter how big the Foo Fighters were, he's a guy who would, he's always super down to earth. And if I ever work with, if I work with young artists, I always impress on them that he's the benchmark. He's the golden standard of what you can achieve and where your head has to be. And I'd like to think that the Wanderers is a club like that as well, because I know that all the players, when they get involved in our club, are told that community is a central pillar of, of, of our club and what we stand for as a, as a club culture. And that's why I think we, you know, we, we make sure that you know, they're out there with refugee communities, there's outreach mm-hmm. communities, we've got the, you know, the Powerball League and everything. And no matter what you achieve, you've got to stay down to earth and be part of that community and make Western Sydney stand proud. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm proud to work with big artists, but for me, the, the real exciting thing is working with young acts and, and helping them believe. Because to be honest with you, I never thought someone like me would get in the record industry. I never, And forget about television. Television is something other people did, and, and the music industry is what those fancy dans in London did. Not a kid from a council estate in Birmingham. You know, I was music mad, but I didn't think that was for me. But so I've always feel completely blessed that I went to work every day and got to hang around with, with rock stars and, and go backstage and travel around the world with music. You know, that is special. I've had a blessed life. And if, if I can continue to be attached to football in a passionate way and music in a passionate way, then, then and food as well, then, then I'm a happy, happy bunny, you know. And that, that story of aspiration is such an important story for people of mine and your generation to tell, isn't it? Because we've got plenty of young Wanderers fans, potential football players and those that are just starting their careers. And I remember packing everything up in my old Sigma 30 years ago to work in radio in Goulburn. It's like no one, you know, I, I didn't know anyone that worked in radio or television. So similar to yourself, but unless you can combine some sort of level of inspiration with that perspiration, you won't get it, but if you do, who knows what can happen? Oh no, incredible! It's look, it's look. As I say, I, I come from supporting football in the in the UK. English football in the seventies and eighties was ugly. You know, it was ugly, brutal, simple football. And 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 a lot of people watch football in Australia, and 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 they lament the fact that we're not as good as the EPL or. Or, or, or La Liga or Serie A. But the fact is, English football was crap in the 70s and 80s. And I think the A-League we, is so much more sophisticated for the stage it's at than, than English football was 30 years ago. It's only the fact that we include, we involved a lot of overseas players and, and coaches that, that the EPL has become special. You know, we used to be really basic. We used to have fullbacks, you know, midfield cloggers and wingers and big centre forwards up there, cross it over, nod it in. That's what it was. It, we, we, football in Australia, I think, is really sophisticated right now. And I get really, really angry when I speak to people who love football who won't watch the A-League. Do you know what? There's 15 million people in Australia who identify with football as their sport, but only 7 million who identify with an A-League club. And you go, well, that's shocking. You know, how, how are we ever going to like become a big, big number one sport 
unless you support football at its grassroots level and its local level, you know, and get on the A-League. It, it does annoy me. Oh, and the quality is extraordinary. And just speaking to the Wanderers just there for a moment, how good is it having someone like Jean-Paul there? Yeah, a, a soccerer himself, Craig Foster said to me, he goes, he's a killer. You know, you've got, you got Jean-Paul there now uh, as a coach, so, so passionate. Guys like Mitch Duke, uh, one of nine kids grew up in Liverpool, worked three jobs. There's some real nice little stories going on uh, at the Wanderers at the moment. Look, I think you're right. Mitch, Mitch Duke is ridiculously inspirational. I don't think you could have a better captain who leads from the front. I mean, you know, show me someone, anyone in the A-League who runs their heart out more than Mitch Duke. You know, he's, he's exactly what we need. A local boy who's going to bleed for the club. And JP's amazing too, obviously. You know, I think he's really experienced, knows the game really well. And I think learns a little bit of uh, mongrel under Muskie at the victory as well. You know, but I love the fact that we've got Labby there, Labino Aliti. Because I remember when we first launched the club and introduced the squad, I was asked to do it at Parramatta Town Hall. And Labby was one of our first players. And he was an absolute gun in that run to the Asian Champions League, obviously went off and played elsewhere, but came back. And that's what we need to be as a club. We need to be a club that's a spiritual home for players so they can satellite out and do what they do, but they'll always come back and want to be part of, of our club and, and see the club grow even bigger. So I love having JP there, and I'm thrilled to see people like Dean Heffernan come back, uh, Beecham. You know, th this is what we have to be. We've got to be a club where people are drawn back into the family. And the Women's World Cup 2023, of course, uh, uh, the growth of the women's game in Australia and worldwide has been exponential, superb, and the quality of football that they play. Oh no, sensational! If you and, and there's some real superstars in women's football. If you say to if you say to football fans now in Australia, who's the best Australian footballer in the world? It's Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr is the best Australian footballer in the world. You know, and um, and and also like players like Megan Rapinoe in the US, you know, not only someone who's an absolute sensational footballer, but someone who wants to make social change as well. And that's fantastic, you know, and, and, and I just think we're going to put on a brilliant World Cup. Every, every game is going to be packed and it's just going to propel not only the women's game, but the round ball game into, into where it needs to be in Australia. I think that the Women's World Cup is going to be a massive shot in the arm for football across both genders in Australia. I'm super excited about that. Yeah, and to think that Lynn Williams and Kirsten Hamilton played for the Wanderers and they ended up, you know, getting to fourth spot and Kirsten got the player of the, of the year. And from a music perspective, I love what you just said then because I believe it so strongly that the game can propel in every way for everyone on the back of a worldwide event like the 2023 Women's World Cup, if done properly. What do you mean? There's no if about it. Australia does this stuff really, really well. Mm. I mean, if you look, when, when we held the... Um, and that was the amazing thing. Back in 2014, when Australia won, won the Asian Championships and the Wanderers were the champions of, of, of Europe, of Asia, you know, we had the leading... We had the club champions and the national champions of Asia. And, and that... that Championship was brilliant. I couldn't believe that in the same six months, I went to Riyadh and saw my club lift the championship in the ACL. And then I Manchester City in ANZ Stadium after a thrilling final, wearing my, my adopted country's shirts 
and cheering my guts out for my new country, you know, as we lifted the Asian Championship. You know, that was amazing too, with some brilliant work by Tommy Urich, I have to add, you know. It just doesn't get any better than that. And, and look, we know Australia would do this well. Australia, you know, does this sort of stuff standing on its head, you know. Well, the Wanderers is a richer place for having someone like you involved, the boy from Birmingham, Peaky Blinders, and the life that you've lived to this point, the sport that you love, and the, the script is only half written. Dicko, great to talk to you. Thanks for being the Wanderer this week. Thanks, mate, and stay safe, everybody. Cheers, Tim. For more information on the club, visit wswanderersfc.com.au. We will be back soon with another story from one of our Wanderers of Western Sydney.